You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right, I'm going to welcome our associate pastor, Dan Kiesler, up to give the word. Lord, we just bless Dan and his family. We ask that you would speak through him. You'd give him the words, give him peace, and uh, extra blessing as they continue their relocation from the mountains down to Charlotte. Lord, he's doing a lot, so just bless him. Amen. Thank you for him. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Um, I just got promoted because um, I didn't know I was the associate pastor, and so that's great news. Um, so we're going to have a cake after church. Um, hey, let's stand up really quick. I just want to pray us in to the moment. Worship was so good. and I know a lot of people are recovering from spring break. Um, Father, we just uh, we acknowledge you here this morning. God, we celebrate you. We honor you. We worship you. God, you're the, the main reason we gather. You're our motive. God, we don't want your stuff. We want you. Um, so, Father, I pray for your presence uh, just to be made known in every space this morning, God, in every life this morning, not just here in the room, but also those online, those who may be traveling, Father. Uh, we just open our heart to your perspective today, God. And last, Father, I just pray for um, just your words, your direction this morning, God, but also your healing, your touch, your just assignment over our lives to bring wholeness and the likeness of Jesus in our everyday rhythm. And we trust you with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, yeah, be praying for Robin. We miss Robin. The good news is dad's not home, so we can do whatever we want today, which is awesome. So let's, let's throw a rager in here. Okay. Um, as uh, Thomas uh, kind of mentioned, we're still in transition trying to wrap up our house and be here full time and uh, hopefully just have a few more weeks of that. My neck is still tweaked, so pray for me. Um, I keep injuring myself, which slows our progress down. I would blame the devil, but he doesn't really have any authority over me, so it was just me. I just was breaking stuff and broke myself in the process. So, um, But I, I did want to say this, um, and I, I think I told Robin this this week. It's easy to build a church brand. It's easy to get people to show up to an event. It's easy to run programs and do event planning and have a church service and all that kind of stuff. But the beauty of what's in this place, the DNA, the authenticity, the hunger for Jesus, um, that's not so common. Um, and I just wanted to honor Robin and Donna for being who they are for the last over, what, a decade plus. Um, because this is not the easy path. Um, but this is the diamond in the rough. This is the thing that is so priceless and rare and it should be celebrated often. So thank you guys. Robin's not here, but I know he's watching online, uh, with some chocolate milk or something. But Donna, um, thank you guys for just being a mother and a father and, and, and just pioneering, uh, this place. So, um, and thanks for promoting me to associate pastor, man. That's awesome. That's beautiful. But uh, we are so excited to be in Charlotte. One of the things we've realized coming here from a small town in the mountains is that our uh, four-year-old Ellie loves the big city. 
Um, and so she just loves the buildings. She used to love to come down here during our transition, and she's gotten more acclimated, so it's a little more normal now. But she used to just love to see the big buildings, right? Uh, in her mind, one day she let us know that she thought the big buildings were full of toys. Um, I haven't had the heart to tell her they're not, and so we got to figure that out by Christmas. But... Um, but she just loved the big buildings, and so sometimes we would just drive around, look at the buildings. She would light up, and a few months ago we were driving, though, and um, Charlotte's kind of like, um, it, it, it's it's a big city, but it's not like New York, and so you're, you've still got like this beauty of being kind of uptown, but also driving 20 minutes and being in the deep south, it feels like, in certain areas. Um, and so we're driving around one day, and we're just on the edge of uptown, and she's looking at the buildings, and excited and she's always building watching and i remember uh one day we drove down this street and all of a sudden we couldn't see the big building right and what happened was we were driving on a street and we were uh right kind of behind a house on the road and so the house was blocking the view and she's panicking like where'd the buildings go dad where'd the city go and i'm panicking too because i can't find it either um and charlotte's one of those cities that's it's big enough you get the beauty of a nice skyline and population but it's small enough you can hide it behind a house and so uh and so we lost uptown for a moment um and it was interesting because we kind of had to either back up or just keep driving and then finally it appeared again and she's happy we see the big city it didn't run away right um but it was interesting because it hit me that day that sometimes what's really big is blocked by what's really close right and sometimes what's really big didn't move it didn't change if you think about a skyscraper in uptown charlotte those things are built on a massive foundation they're stable they're not shaken when everything else is they don't just get up and walk away they don't disappear just because we repositioned it's going to stay there regardless um whether i can see it or not right but sometimes the big thing gets blocked by the close thing right and one more story a few years ago, and Ellie, this, maybe this is why she likes it, but she was in mom's belly. And we decided we're going to go to uh, Europe for uh, a couple weeks and get kind of a last hoorah before entering um, baby season. And Kara and I, the way we love to travel is just to get lost. We don't try to do all the bucket list stuff. We just like to get in the middle of culture and just walk, which can be a little dangerous, but Kara knows karate. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so a, a few years back, we were in Paris, and um, we walked outside of our hotel and um, just down the street a little bit, and the city opens up, and there you see this massive Eiffel Tower. It's just gorgeous, beautiful city. Um, and it's just towering above everything else. In fact, I heard a stat the other day. I think the tallest thing mankind, I don't know if this is true, but it was on the Internet, and I believe everything on the Internet. So, uh, But I think the tallest structure mankind made since the pyramids was the Eiffel Tower, which was an interesting fact. But there it is. It's massive. It's towering above the whole city. And we walk out the hotel and I think, man, there it is. Let's just walk over there. We don't like to do a lot of like, you know, take the metro or the tube in London or anything. We just kind of like to walk and get lost, right? And I thought, man, let's just walk over there real quick and check that thing out. Um, well, a couple hours later, we're still walking over there. Because my depth perception isn't what it used to be. 
Um, but the same thing happened as we would kind of wind through streets. We're uh, on this journey. And I love it because we found so much beauty uh, in getting lost and on the way. But the same thing would happen because of what was close. We'd find ourselves on a street in a small building would somehow block the view of this massive thing we were trying to pursue. And so we'd have to go around or back up or come out of a street. And once we got a glimpse of the tower, we knew which direction to go again. Now, again, the tower didn't move. The tower didn't vanish. It didn't get up and run away. Our position is what blocked the view, right? Because, again, sometimes what's really big didn't change. It's just been blocked by what's really close, right? And I think of, uh, we sing about it this morning, the promises of God. The promises of God are really big and they're really stable. They're really firm. When God makes a promise or a covenant and they tower above everything else, they don't shake. They don't move when we reposition. They don't change their mind. When God establishes a promise over your life, over our life, or if he makes a covenant with his people, it is secure no matter where we are. But sometimes when it comes to God's promises, the big thing gets blocked by the close thing. And sometimes in those spaces of our life, the close things are so tangible and they're so real and so immediate that it's hard to keep the promise of God in view, right? And I think about the life of Abraham. Look at a couple passages here who had some massive, huge promises. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 Here's the promise of God over his life. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now, just think about Abraham's position for a minute. He's one guy and God's promise is I'm going to make you into a great nation. Okay, so this is no pressure, right? No pressure promise. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I'll curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Massive promise. Massive, towering promise that's much bigger than one guy named Abraham. He's literally speaking about nations that would come through this guy. And automatically in the promise, Abraham's mind's going to generational reproduction. He's understanding already, okay, well, we're going to have to have some kids if this is going to happen. Because to multiply and become a nation means that there has to be some offspring. And there's a lot of weight and things that need to come to pass for this promise to take place. And I don't have time to dive into it this morning. But many of us know the story of Abraham, that Abraham's life has some detours, right? There's this massive towering promise, but in the uh, original promise, God didn't say anything about betrayal. He didn't say anything about violence. He didn't say anything about the time he would have to hide his wife so that they wouldn't be in trouble, pretend it's not his wife. And although this massive promise of God was really tall, all of a sudden Abraham and Sarah's age is really close. And there's this promise of an offspring, but they're not looking so young and chipper anymore, right? And I can only imagine that even though they were people of faith and trusted God, the close things sometimes blocked the view. And you know the story uh, where something was really close, which was their age, and they haven't seen a son yet, and so they get a little strategic, and Abraham casts some vision, Sarah casts some vision, and Hagar comes into the picture, right? Long story short, they try to make their own promise. They try to speed things up rather than wait on God. 
Why? Because what was big was blocked by what was close. God's promise was stable. It didn't change, but their age got really, really close. And sometimes the close thing causes us to doubt or get out of view of the promise of God. And when we do that, in Abraham's case, we try to get there our own way. Can I tell you that when we live into reaction to what's close rather than what's true, sometimes we try to make it happen in our own strength. And we know the story, thankfully, that Abraham perseveres and they get back on their feet and Isaac comes. Another example would be the Israelites, right? Massive promise, massive call. Um, I think I put a passage in here, Exodus 6, 5 through 6. They've got this towering promise of a land and freedom and uh, being the people of God. And they've been in bondage for years upon years. And Exodus 6, 5 says, Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are, ens- are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Massive promise here, right? And if you know their story, same problem. Huge promise, close things. They come out of Egypt and everybody's excited and God's with them and they've got momentum and they're on this emotional high and then Pharaoh changes his mind and they start to hear the hooves of the horses and they think, oh no, right? They get to the Red Sea, and it's kind of just a big body of water, but Pharaoh's getting close. They've got this massive promise, but the enemy's close, and they're panicking. They're worried. They've got two scenarios, the promise of God, they've got an impassable body of water, and someone who's going to consume them. And you know the story that God provides a miracle, opens up the water they pass through. God delivers them, consumes Pharaoh. They turn around. They write a song about it. Everybody's singing, and they're right back to being high on the promise of God. But something was close for a minute, right? And it's the close things that grab us. It's the close things that get us. And when we live in a reaction to what's close, it sometimes, like the Israelites, leaves us wandering in circles. Wondering when breakthrough is coming. Wondering when we get to enter in. Can I tell you that God doesn't call us to live in a reaction to what's close. And we're going to see this a little bit later in the life of Jesus. But another example, the disciples. They're in a boat one day. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The storm kicks up. They have this incredible, mysterious promise made flesh, God himself sitting with them, right in front of them. He's towering above all creation. They don't really perceive it that way, but there he is, and they don't really fully get it. But the waves were close, and they start to panic. So even though they're with God, the waves still somehow seemed closer. And when you live into reaction to what's close, you panic instead of learning to rest like Jesus 
or like we just talked about, God had just raised from the dead. He's up walking around, right? The resurrection's taking place. The disciples are still struggling to believe, though, because the cross is still close. The death of Jesus is still close. It's still the thing that's impressed on their heart and fresh in their mind. So even though this promise of God is towering above everything else, what's close still had their heart, right? Here's what I'm after this morning. I just think God wants to deliver us and free us from living in reaction to what's close. So that we can keep what's towering above it all in view. And isn't this the pursuit of our faith anyway? It's always this kind of dodgy, elusive game of getting stuck in moments or getting stuck in situations and having to come back to the same thing all the time that we know is stable. It's true. It's firm. It's secure. Its foundations cannot be shaken. They won't move. God's not running away from us. He's not hiding. We have this promise that he is with us, that he will never leave nor forsake us. And as we sing this morning, the promises of God, on, I don't know why I'm looking up there, it's not up there anymore, um, but they're yes and amen in Christ. And if you look at the context of even that passage, he's saying there isn't even an option of no, it's secure in Christ now. So whatever God's done in Jesus is a promise over your life, but if you live into reaction to what's close, we're going to try to get there our own way. We're going to wander in circles, always wondering when it's going to show up and we're going to panic instead of rest and here's the tragedy we don't have to we just don't and I don't say that in an arrogant uh, way that it's easy I certainly know from my own self it is not easy Uh, but I know that we don't have to live in a place of panic, worry, fear, doubt because God really truly is towering above all things, and he's not moving. Amen. Hmm. The disciples are walking around with the resurrected Jesus, and they miss it because of what's close. I think I shared this last week during communion, but that Emmaus Road is so, uh, such a beautiful picture um, of God walking up to those who don't have a revelation yet that he's walking up to those. And he's talking with them, he's journeying with them, and they just don't even know yet. Because the cross is still close to them, right? And when we live in a reaction to what's close, we'll miss what God's doing right in front of our face. Um, I think God wants to set us free. Um, So let me ask these questions. There's three things I, I think that are important to ask when we navigate stuff like this and figure out what's close. Are we living in a response to what's close or the promise of God? And it's what do I see, what do I feel, and what am I doing? Okay. When I think about what I see, it comes under this canopy of faith. What's my view? Because when I think about Abraham, Abraham was credited, even though he butchered it, even though in the close moment he tried to create his own promise and get there, he was still credited as this man of faith. Because Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, right? Abraham literally uh, was the father of a nation because he kept this amazing faith before the Lord. In fact, Hebrews 11.10 says, 
It says, Abraham, he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because, I love this line, she considered him faithful who made the promise. Now, this is after they've kind of butchered it, right? This is like the rebound uh, play here. But she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man... And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So this massive promise of God comes to pass, even though there were detours, even though there were close moments that held them hostage, they were able to zoom out. And this is what faith does. Faith allows us to zoom out. Because when we lost the city of Charlotte the other day or a few months ago, uh, the two options we could do is we either had to go around or we had to back up. And when we back up and zoom out from what's really close, it helps us re-anchor to what's really true, what's really big, and what's really stable. And these guys were commended for faith because they had this amazing faith that could zoom out and remember the promise of God even through the detours. We have to have a faith that is not myopic in nature. Because a myopic faith will live in reaction to what's close. It will get stuck with what's close. But Abraham had this capacity to zoom out and remember who God was. Even when the promise didn't seem to be there, he trusted God um, that it was. And Sarah, too, got to give her some credit. But then the second one is, what do I feel? What do I feel? And this is a trickier one to navigate, and I, I'm not going to dive into this this morning because it would be a whole series. But what we feel is such, such a trap sometimes. There's beauty in emotion, and there's also trickiness in emotion. And when God's made a promise and you don't see it yet, disappointment sometimes becomes close. Because sometimes the close thing's not a situation, it's not a moment, sometimes it's the feeling, right? It's the fact that we tried, I mean, imagine the disappointment of the Israelites who just came out of Egypt's hand and they think they're free and then all of a sudden there's Pharaoh again. It's like, oh my gosh, crushed, Right? Or the disappointment of the disciples like we talked about for Easter. I mean, Jesus was walking on water, healing the sick, raising the dead, and then there he is, lights out dead, and three days go by and he's still not moving. Disappointment, right? And in the closeness of that disappointment, God is still doing the thing God was going to do all along, but they're not partakers in rejoicing in it. They're still suffering when they don't even have to, right? Redemption is literally... In their midst, and they're still suffering because they just don't know what they don't know. And disappointment is really close. What they feel is weighty. And I don't know what's close for you this morning. It might be that your closeness is something you feel. It might be disappointment. It might be a health crisis. It could be a financial crisis. It could be a lot of things. Maybe it's that God made you a promise and it's just still not here yet. But I can tell you this. The promise of God is way more stable than our feelings. And what we feel um, doesn't dictate whether the promise of God comes to pass or not, right? I think about these 
this, this story, the Israelites are going to pass through. I think I've got it in here, Hebrews 11, 29. This isn't really so much about uh, healing, but it's really important because sometimes what we have to do, if I want to see that building, I've either got to back up and get a different view or I've got to go through to see it, right? In that case, I couldn't go through someone's house, so we had to go around because that's breaking and entering. Um, but sometimes you've just got to go through something to get to the other side, right? Which means you've got to get past something. You've got to get over something. Or it could just be something God wants to heal. Sometimes the close thing comes close because God's trying to heal something, right? And you've got to ask God, God, is this something I'm supposed to uh, just back up from? Or is, some, is this something I need to go through? Is this something you're trying to heal, right? Uh, and it's a really important picture because the Israelites are there and it says, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. Now, I'm not speaking to emotional healing, but it's important because it implies their deliverance was based on them going through, not going around, not going back. And they tried multiple times, were tempted to go back, but they had to go through something. And sometimes we just have to go through. Yeah? What does it look like to cultivate a zoomed out faith? Um, this could be different for different people, but for me, it goes back to prayer. I need to talk to the Lord. When something close has me and I need to zoom out, I've got to talk to Jesus. Because it's in that place he reminds me. And you see that in the journey of Abraham. He reminds Abraham in parts of his journey of this promise. He echoes it, right? Which causes us to remember. I have to remember that that thing is there no matter what I'm feeling or what I'm seeing. But then what does it look like to heal? And this would be a deep dive, not for today, but... One of the things I realize I have to do to heal often is to forgive. And I love how simple this is this morning. This is cliche Bible stuff, but it is the stuff that changes everything, right? Because if I can forgive someone, then I'll no longer carry what was close. And I wonder how often we are actually totally free to live in redemption and wholeness. But we're living still as if what was close still is. Here's an example. If um, Stuart offended me, and he does often, um, it's his gift. If he offended me, and let's say we had a falling out, and it was just a relationship that went bad, and I'm disappointed, I'm broken, I'm bitter, I want justice because he did me wrong. Did me wrong. And I don't know what your number is. On the, anybody follow the Enneagram or Teddy Grams? Um, I'm more of a Teddy Graham guy myself. Numbers. Um, I, what am I, an eight on the Enneagram? So one of my things, she tells me this stuff because I don't, numbers don't define the man of God. Um, um, the, sorry. Uh, spoke it like a trait. But she tells me one of the things I, I love is justice, right? I love justice, right? Um, in fact, one of my guilty pleasures is YouTube instant justice videos. <laughs> just don't let your kids watch it, but you watch it and see if it doesn't just make you feel great. Um, instant justice. I love justice, right? Um, 
And so it's hard sometimes, I've gotten uh, better about it, but um, it's hard sometimes when you've been done wrong and you're justified. You're justified to either expose it or hold on to it or talk about it all the time. You're justified. It's hard to let the areas you're justified not to let go of, let go of. You know why it's important? And this was my own journey and one of the times I needed to heal was I realized, I remember this moment like where Jehovah was Jireh, you know, this God who sees. And I remember this space of my life where God seeing where I was and what it was was enough for me to be free from it. And it freed me from that need of justice or my version of redemption, which usually means penalty for whoever did me wrong. And so if Stuart does me wrong and I'm constantly looking for justice, I'm not talking about reconciliation, talking to your brother stuff. I'm talking about the fact sometimes we hold on to things that came really close. And we wonder why we're miserable in our emotional health and forgetting about the promise of God. And it's really hard to run after the promise of God with all the baggage of disappointment and bitterness and unforgiveness. But the truth is, at some point, we have to let God be our justice. Amen? At some point, forgiveness is really letting go and just letting God have the thing that maybe no one else will ever know the details of nor see. But it frees me. Because if I don't, I'm going to live in reaction as if what was close still is. And every day I'm going to live as if Stuart is still doing that thing to me constantly, even though Stuart's moved on, probably not even thinking about it, and I'm the one trapped. Sometimes we've got to heal and go through something because it's blocking our view of what God's called us to. And we don't always get to go around those things. Sometimes God wants to heal those things so that we don't bleed on everyone in the process. And the last one is this. What am I doing? Is this a situation where I just need to keep walking? Right? If I want to see that tower, like we just had to keep walking. Because the streets are winding, and which was awesome. We're finding chocolate and all this other stuff along the way. Like things we never would have found before. But is, this a, is, is it a thing I just need to keep walking? I'm reminded of the, the passage where uh, Peter walks on water with Jesus. He's invited out into this space of the miraculous. And Peter obviously couldn't do this on his own. But he's uh, piggybacking on the anointing of Jesus. And he steps out and um, walks on the water. Right? And it's only for a brief moment. And he sees the waves. Again, imagine, here's this amazing, like, moment of God doing this miracle, but then the waves came close, the wind came close, the doubt came closer, and Peter starts to sink. And even though he's in the middle of a miracle, what was close grabbed his heart. And here's what Jesus does, and I I thought it was always such a, like, just rude move of Jesus, and Jesus isn't a mean guy, but he says, you have little faith. I'm like, what are you talking? He's the only guy who even tried it. The other guys, I mean, slam those guys, right? They're just watching. They didn't even go for it, right? I mean, at least he walked on water for a few seconds, right? You think, be like, man, great job. Great job. Here's a ribbon. Here's a participation ribbon, like something. 
But he says, you have a little faith. And I always thought, man, that's just like, and we use that sometimes in faith camp to say, man, you got to have more faith. That's why you're not seeing breakthrough. And that's really not what he's saying. He's not talking about quantity of faith. In fact, if you look at the language there in the Greek, he's talking about a duration of faith. He's not saying you didn't have enough as in quantity. He's saying you didn't have enough as in duration. So he said it like this, Peter, why didn't you have faith long enough? Is this one of those places I just have to have faith long enough? You know what was crazy about Abraham's faith? Is Abraham was a stubborn dude. Through all the detours and the things that came close, he just kept getting up and getting up and getting up and getting up and doing it again. And even though he butchered it and created an Ishmael, he got up and did it again, even when they were past just needing a miracle to have a kid. I mean, they were shriveled. Hmm. I have pictures. I can I can show. He still kept going. Is it is the thing that's close to you just something that you just you just got to keep going? Because God uses stubborn people, right? It's that long enough faith that really helps us get back in view of the promise of God to remember. Oh, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't move. Maybe I just, we just talked about this with fruit of the spirit, but maybe I just need to be patient. Because like me, I looked outside and thought, oh, let's just walk over there. And two hours in, I was getting impatient. Because I didn't realize, even though I had a nice view of the tower, I didn't realize how long it was going to take to get there. And so I just had to keep walking. I just had to keep walking. And when I was tired, I kept walking. And what was funny is I was the one complaining, and she was eight months, how many months pregnant? 18 weeks. That's different than eight months. Um, just by a couple weeks. But, but she's pregnant, you know? And it's like, I'm just, I'm like, oh, come on. Sometimes we just got to keep going, though, right? You know who else didn't live in reaction to what was close? Jesus. And if we can zoom it in here on the life of Jesus, because Jesus is our ultimate model, right? And and check out this passage. It's one of my favorites. I probably use it every Sunday, but let's use it again to keep the tradition. John 1, 10 through 11, it says, He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was in the world. He made it. He came to his own creation. And they didn't know. And they didn't receive him. Which is crazy. I mean, imagine this. There's this towering promise of a Messiah to come. For generation upon generation, and it started all the way back with these early days of faith with God using men to create nations, and it's uh, kind of snowballed into this moment where it's time for a Messiah to come. They've got the weight of this towering word that's literally been passed down from generation to generation, and all of a sudden it's here. All of a sudden, the invisible God has human eyes, and no one knows, right? No one knows. Because how could um, the God of creation, how could uh, Yahweh, how could Jehovah, how could the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob come this close and look like that? 
You see, the challenge was God was towering and the promise was right in front of them. It was being fulfilled, but his humanity was close. And how could God come and be this human? How could God come and be a carpenter's son? That was too close. And they're living in response to what's close rather than a promise that was being fulfilled. And they were so hung up on the closeness of God in the flesh and what it looked like that they were missing God of heaven right in front of them. And this towering weight and promise of redemption coming is walking among them. And even with signs and miracles, there's still doubt swirling because his humanity is too close. How could God come and sit with sinners? How could God come and hang out with tax collectors? How could he act like that? That's way too close. It's way off brand for the God that we know. And their redemption was right there and they're still living in misery because of what's close. And they didn't have to. And Jesus, thankfully, not being one who lives in reaction to what's close, but Jesus having the most zoomed out view of anyone who's ever walked the planet because he came from heaven into a zoomed in myopic space of just doing daily life with heaven's perspective. He carried it everywhere he went so that when he saw a lame person, he was not hung on what was close. He saw a much bigger towering promise over the life of humanity and he could call the thing that was as if it wasn't the thing that wasn't as if it was. And Jesus walks around and he's healing the sick. He's raising the dead because his view wasn't hung on what was close. It was set with the perspective of heaven. And it's important because there were moments where I'm sure things got close for Jesus, right? There's the moment where he's about to be betrayed. He's about to go to the cross and he knows all this. He's seen the tower over the city. He's seen God's plan of redemption. He knows why he is here. But there's this close moment where he says, Father, if it's possible. There's that close moment where he's sweating blood. But Jesus... Didn't respond to what was close. His father, if it's possible, this is kind of getting really close now. The cross, I can hear them making it around the corner. Like, if it's possible. But then he says, nevertheless, he backs up. Your will be done. He looks right back at the promise towering over the city. And then here's what Jesus does. He doesn't back up and run away, but Jesus goes through the thing that he was appointed to go through. Because he knew if he didn't get to the other side, just like a Red Sea, this was a different Red Sea that brought all of humanity with him that closed up our enemy in the process and set us so securely in a new position. Jesus saw the promise and thankfully didn't live in reaction to what was close. Because as Jesus was hanging on the cross in the promise of redemption, what was close was the pain of nails in his palms. What was close was blood dripping from his brow, from thorns that had been driven by his own creation, his own that he came to that did not even recognize him and obviously didn't receive him. The same ones who cheered for him are now the ones cheering at his crucifixion. 
And if there was ever a time you want to live in response to what's close and get justice and hold on to unforgiveness and hold on to bitterness, it was right there. But thank God he didn't live in reaction to what's close. As he's hanging there, bleeding by them, but bleeding for them, no one knows except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No one sees the view that Jesus sees. No one sees the towering promise. Everyone was stuck in what's close, and Jesus is hanging there with every right to get vengeance, with every right to not forgive. And here's what Jesus does. He says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know. They can't see it. And Jesus repositions us to be so concealed and locked inside this eternal covenant and promise of the Father. And it's a covenant and promise that cannot be shaken can't be broken. It doesn't move. It's not running from you. It's not trying to get away. It's not something you have to perform to try to find. But we've been sown into it in an inseparable way. Which means at any moment, I don't see it, I don't feel it, and I'm not moving toward it means that I'm just simply stuck with what's close. And I don't know if this is encouraging you this morning, but I just, if you get nothing else, take this. You don't have to settle for anything less than the promise of God, the wholeness of God, and the redemption of God over your life. You don't have to settle. Again, Jesus was up walking around And they were still suffering over the cross. They were panicking at the waves when Jesus was resting. Because that's what living in reaction to what's close to us. It robs me of rest. And delivers me to anxiety. It robs me of peace and puts me in fear. Causes me to panic as As if God is distant and asleep. But God's towering above everything. Amen. And as Jesus towered above humanity at the cross, he zooms out, backs up, and lives in reaction to the Father and the will of God instead of the closeness of his own pain, his own humanity, and the closeness of his own creation hanging him. And thank God that we have a Savior who does not live in reaction to what's close. And if that's how Jesus is, it's a model of how we are called to be. Amen. I want to pray for us as we stand.
just for a moment, if we could maybe just close your eyes and give the Lord a, a second here. And maybe for you, you can just keep those three questions in your mind of, is this something I need to back away from? Is the close thing in my life, is this something I, I need to go through? Like, is this something that might be challenging, but I need to get to the other side and God's doing something through it? Or maybe it's something that I, I need to heal from. And maybe for you, you've carried it for five minutes. Maybe you've carried it for 50 years. And it's still close. Or maybe you fall under the third question of, is this something I just need to keep walking? Is this one of those times in my life I just got to keep going? I just got to be stubborn and just keep going. And so, Father, I just... I pray, God, that whatever's close for us wouldn't be closer than you. Because that's the promise we have. That our reality is so sown into this mystery of Christ, that we are in you and you are in us, and nothing can separate. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if God is love, And that means you're always closer than the waves. You're always closer than my circumstance, God, than my bank account, than my health crisis. You're always closer. And I say these lightly because they're not easy things to navigate. And that's the tricky part of humanity is we have things to navigate. But the beauty is we can wind those streets and get lost with the Father. And catch beauty along the way instead of panic and fear. And so, Father, I just pray over anyone. I, I want to keep our eyes closed for a minute just to be sensitive. If, if there's anybody here this morning that you could say, I'm not going to embarrass you or have you come up front, but if you're here this morning, you say, Man, I, I, I've traded the promise of God for what's close, and, and I'm, I, I, I'm anxious, I'm afraid. I'm bitter, I'm angry. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you up here. Could you raise your hand for a second? Father, I just, I pray that we could let that go, God. That we could back up and remember who you are. Like the faith of Abraham, God, that we could trust you and keep trusting you. And even if we butchered it, God, we'll trust you again. Because you've made a way. And that way is so cushioned with grace that even when we fall, your promise didn't move. It wasn't shaken. There's just a house in the way. So we trust you this morning. Just say that in your own heart, Father. We trust you with your promise. Because it really is yes and amen in Christ. And it's faithful and it's true. In Jesus' name, amen.
You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.